Solitude is what you have the least of here, especially as plebs. You don't even have privacy, the opportunity simply to be physically alone, never mind solitude, the ability to be alone with your thoughts. And yet I submit to you that solitude is one of the most important necessities of true leadership. Nat, we're back here at another episode of Made You Think. We are back. It's a lovely Friday morning here in yep. New York. Pleasure to be here with you, Neil. Yep, We're drinking our mushroom coffee. Mushroom coffee, always. For anyone who is joining for the first time, this is the Made You Think podcast where we find interesting books, articles, possibly other media in the future that made us think. And then we come on and share, share our notes and talk about it and, you know, give you some of the digest interesting pieces that you can walk away with, whether you've read it before or not. Yep. And today we're covering a speech. So I think, yes. I think this is our first speech. This is our first speech. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. And I think that even when we were coming up with what this whole podcast was even about, we wanted to pick something that wasn't just specific to books, even though we mostly have covered books so far. Mostly books. Uh, but we wanted to leave the door open for speeches like this one that really, you know, really do get your brain muscles working out pretty hard. Mostly because reading a 450-page book every single week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't tell them the real reason. <laughs> we need a break, people. We're not machines yet. But yes, this is... Yes, if, they, if they want to know about that. Yeah, exactly. Go back to the last episode, Homo Deus. Yeah, is that, that's not the last episode. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's not. There was one in between, right? That was the questions there's the listener questions oh you're right there's the listener <laughs> questions episode oh i could oh well i have to send that to andres he doesn't have it yet <laughs> well i knew there was something i was forgetting hopefully it's the hopefully next, yeah the hopefully okay yeah anyway homo deus uh two episodes ago yes yes <laughs> excellent episode 10 out of 10 would recommend yeah at least we would our but mom, yes our mom <laughs> said that quote <laughs> yeah they said it's amazing <laughs> and um, nine out of ten dentists also agree wow we have a cool yeah, niche audience there. big dentist niche. yeah um and oh before we really get into the speech oh, wait we should we should say what the speech is and then that's we, a good yeah, point unless they in case they can't read from the, case title. They can't read from the title yeah hey you never know <laughs> yeah that's true but yes the the speech we are reading today is solitude and leadership by william derezowitz who Nat has actually spoken with before. Yeah, I had him on my podcast, Nat Chat, which you could go listen to too if you enjoy this episode. That was probably one of the better episodes. That was a that was awesome. Great conversation. Yeah. And it wasn't that long either. Um 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Ones are normally over an hour, right? Yeah, they were they were usually around an hour. Yeah. But his I think he had a hard stop or something. So we can only do 45. But he had I mean, just I remember listening to that episode and it was like nonstop, really engaging conversation. And he seems really interesting. I that was my first time ever hearing him talk. Yeah. But I had read this speech before that, and I think he's written a couple other like essays that he's posted online. Yeah, he's got a few um, really good essays. Most of them are on the American Scholar. Yep. The other one I'd really recommend is on political correctness. That's the one I think yeah. is the first one that I had read. Yeah. That's a fantastic article. I think we could have done that one, but we talked about that so much anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <We> didn't, <laughs> didn't need to keep harping on it. But uh, yes, so we're going to dive into the speech in a minute, but also... Nat and I are smelling really good today. Yeah, we smell amazing. I don't know. Neil just walked in. I was just boom hit yeah. with uh, this amazing scent. Probably because uh, we are now both customers of the wonderful Scentbird. Yep. So scent as in smell. As in smell. Yes. yes. <laughs> so we've yeah we're both customers. We've partnered with them for for this podcast. And which one are you wearing today? Do you do you want to shout that specific one out, or do you want to leave that a mystery? Well, we could leave it a mystery, but I assume <laughs> that everyone listening would like to smell just like me. And so I've got the rag and bone and scents right here. Nice. That sounds, the name sounds really cool. Yeah. Well, I love rag and bone clothing, right? Oh, so okay. it's like I saw the name and I hadn't tried this uh, cologne out before. So. Did it live up? 
to live up to the hype. It did. It's quite nice. nice. You can actually, I've got it right here. You can smell it. Oh, that is good. It is nice. Yeah, yeah nice. I'm a fan. But yeah, so, so why don't go ahead and explain what it is exactly. So Scentbird, the way that uh, at least the media describes them is that they are the Netflix for perfume and colognes. So basically you go on there, it's a subscription, so you pay, and we have a little deal for you guys, which we'll tell you in a second, but um, you pay your monthly subscription fee, and for that, you get one perfume or a cologne per month. It's kind of like the old Netflix where they would ship DVDs to you and stuff. It's like you create like a queue of ones that you want to try, and you get a full 30-day supply for that, and the price you get is pretty incredible. It's, yeah. it's only $15 a month, and the name brands that they have on there are like ridiculous. I mean, it's like Dolce & Gabbana, as you were saying, Rag and Bone. Yeah, Chanel, Armani, everything that you would expect to find in a fancy yep. perfume cologne cabinet. And you don't have to commit to that huge bottle size. You just, you know, you get a subscription and you get that 30-day supply. And, you know, honestly, like if you're a millennial or an interesting person like us, uh, you get bored of things after about 30 days. So you want to switch it up. And I think that's really the inspiration behind the company is that they realized, you know, if you buy the full-size bottle, you're really committing to it for like six months or a year. And yes. That's a long time to be smelling the exact same. Well, and the other thing, too, is even if you're just getting the same cologne, right, if you already know what you like, yep. this is honestly a better way to do it because I, you know, so what I usually wear is uh, Blue by Chanel, right? I love that mm. cologne, <laughs> but I had, you know, a big bottle of it and I tried to take it on an airplane once. Exactly. Yeah. And they <laughs> took it. Right. And it was like, honestly, probably a hundred dollar bottle of cologne. Yep. That was not fun. But this travels. With this, I took it to Pittsburgh with me last week. Yeah. Well, this is only what, one and a half ounces? Yeah. It's really small. It's so fairly small because it's just a one month supply. Well, and it's great to travel with it. Yeah. yeah it's well, super easy. I mean, you could basically put this in your pocket. You, you can't see it because we don't have. Well, know, we'll post some pictures. We'll post some pictures. Yeah. On, uh, if you go to majorthingpodcast.com. But you get this cool little like tube thing and then they send you these refillable cartridges and you just put the new cartridge in the tube. And then it's, I mean, it's very it's light. It's like light, fits nicely in your hand. You yep. can it's kind of like the size of a fat toothbrush. Yeah. That's how I describe it. A yep. short fat toothbrush. Oh yeah, it's not going to take up much space in your luggage. No one's going to yeah. confiscate it. Yeah, really easy to travel with. So yeah, I took it to Pittsburgh and there was no issue with security. No issue. Yeah. And uh, so there is a special deal that we were able to get for you guys. So even though it's $15 a month uh, for made you think podcast listeners, if you use the code think, you get 50% off your first month yeah. subscription. And yeah, it's pretty pretty much a no brainer at that point. I mean, you get a fancy perfume or fancy cologne for 750 on that first month. Exactly. <laughs> That's a no brainer. No brainer. And you don't have to go to, you know, Target or wherever no. and smell a million of them, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just like, oh, it just shows up. Yeah. And you're only committing to 30 days. So 30 it's days. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, it's not really not really you're not buying a whole you're not gonna smell like that for the whole year yeah so yeah go to uh if you you know if you want to link to scentbird you can just go to scentbird.com or you can go to madeyouthinkpodcast.com slash support you'll find a link and, there uh, there'll be a link there so yeah get your fancy perfumes and colognes and let uh, us know which ones you pick yeah hit us up on twitter you might give us some new ideas yeah exactly because you know, we got <laughs> i think we each got a, a couple but now after yeah. that we need to refill our queue we have to pick our, our queue now so um, cool all right let's dive into the episode so I, I think this essay, uh, and we'll, we'll link to that, so definitely go check it out. Uh, it's kind of broken up into three major sections, I would say, right? Yeah. So there's like the first section, he's really talking about thinking, and, and we'll dive into that. But, you know, there's, he's giving this speech, the speech is at, he's giving it at West Point. And he at this time, I believe, was a professor at Yale. Correct. So he's giving the examples of kind of what people need to do in this day and age to get into a place like Yale. And he coins the term, which he later turned into a book, uh, he coins the term excellent sheep. So he says that people who get into, you know, kind of like world-class institutions are kind of trained from an early age to just be able to uh, jump through a lot of hoops successfully. Yeah. And we get really good at doing that. 
and I would say, you know, in my experience at CMU, I saw a lot of that. I would say I fell into that for the first couple of years for sure. I was definitely just an excellent sheep. <laughs> well, and the big problem that he's highlighting is that that gets conflated with leadership. Yes. Where people think that if I am really good at what I am being told to do and I am maintaining the routine, then I'm doing a good job. Right. Right. Then I'm being a good leader. Well, I think people use the word leader as like the top of the hierarchy. Yeah. But it's not really that's not really what it's it, not really what it means. Or it is what it means, but not not always. Right. Like you can be the best at enforcing the existing regime. Mm -hmm. That's probably you're a leader, but it's like not the leader that people are aspiring to be. Yeah. People are claiming to be like these sort of creative or entrepreneurial type leaders, but they're doing kind of the exact opposite. So he doesn't actually mention it in this speech, but if you read the book that this speech, I think, inspires, Excellent Sheep, he has this great example in there of students applying to Yale with or applying to jobs post-grad with leadership experience on their resumes, right? So their leadership experience is running this club on campus or, you know, leading a group project in a class. And his point is that none of that stuff is really leadership because you didn't do anything kind of inspirational or visionary. You weren't thinking creatively. You were really just kind of, like you said, maintaining the routine, just right. keeping things going or doing what you were told in a really excellent way, right? You were the best at following orders. So I, order is a good word because yeah. I've been thinking about this much more, like rereading this in anticipation of the episode. I've been thinking about this a lot more in the chaos versus order standpoint. And I find that like, I think what you and I, and I think I would argue what he means by leader is people who can take chaos and turn it into order in some way. And I think what you're describing is the, you know, university leadership experience. Take order and keep order going. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's like order to order and just maintaining the order. Basically, there's already order. You're just the next cog in the wheel that maintains that order. effectively. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Uh, so, okay, the example really would be if you were to compare like a generic president of the United States with like the founders of the United States. Right. One is obviously more of a leadership, uh, requires more leadership than the other because you're literally forming something out of nothing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I guess that's probably a good analogy. For somebody familiar with the startup world, it's like the zero to one yes. versus exactly. one to N, right? Zero to one is a much bigger move than one to anything beyond it because you're, again, taking nothing and creating something. And that requires that leadership visionary element. And I think he's not arguing that it's bad to be in the one to N stage. I think what he's no. saying is that it's not the same as the zero to one phase. Yeah. And that we're losing with a lot of the things that our top institutions are promoting and rewarding, I guess we are sort of losing the zero to one phase. Like we're almost stamping that out of people. And I think that's why the context of this being delivered at West Point is very useful and illuminative where it's, you know, he's talking to the military. I mean, even says it's the most bureaucratic of bureaucracies. Exactly. <laughs> like, and I think there's this stereotype of the military as being a, you know, no room for inspiration. You just follow your marching orders and you do what you're told. And that's really not true, especially once you reach a certain level of, you know, command, right? A certain amount of power, especially if you're, uh, as he describes it, you know, on deployment in a small team and you have to like really think on the fly. Yeah. Right. You can't just follow orders because that's when you get in trouble. You have to be able to kind of think creatively and actually be a leader. Right. It's, uh, I don't remember where I was reading this. Maybe it was in, uh, what was Jocko's book? Extreme Ownership. Yep. Where it's the, the idea of commander's intent. Yes. For a lot of missions, you just have this sort of one line, like, this is what we want. And then you go figure out how to do it. Right. Well, now that you're managing people, too, you probably see this like the best people that work for me are people who I can just give them a like, this is what we're trying to go do. And then they go solve that. Yeah. And it's like, 
it's the best type of person to work for you because it's like you don't need to micromanage them. You trust them to figure out the tactics and then you just give them the commander's intent, basically. Yeah. It's a really good way of thinking about it. Well, and some people do need that really intense handholding, right. kind of clear steps, but it's very, you know, they can never kind of graduate beyond that. Yeah. And I think that what Derezowitz is trying to argue here is that, you know, you're coming to a place like West Point to be a leader in the military. And being a leader doesn't mean doing all of this hoop jumping that he's talking about. It means being able to actually kind of think creatively and go beyond it. You don't want the Yale definition of leader where you can get straight A's and do lots of extracurriculars and get the job at McKinsey. You want the kind of leader who can just get that commander's intent and run with it and do an amazing job. Yeah, I think your point about McKinsey or sort of like the next step beyond graduation, I think that's very much related to what we see, at least among people when they when they graduate, right? It's like a lot of people who are the highest achievers end up going, and maybe there's probably a multitude of variables here, but a lot of them end up going to a bank or to McKinsey or to medical school, or like they're jumping from sort of one situation with a lot of order into another situation with a lot of order. Yeah. And that's kind of what they've been equipped, you know, to do all their life. So it makes total sense that someone like that would want to kind of stay in a situation where, you know, their skills are still very transferable. Right. And in order to bridge that gap, right, because to be fair, everyone starts in order, yep. right? You, you yeah. have to start by being good at operating in order. If you throw us straight into chaos, like it's yeah, not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to eventually make that jump from doing well in order to also doing well in chaos and being able to bring it back to order. Yeah. And that's where I think he starts to get into the second part of the essay where he's talking about the importance of solitude and yep. focus. Because the big issue he calls out at the beginning of the section is kind of multitasking yeah, and I trying like to that. do all these different kinds of work. And I'll just read from the speech here. Multitasking, in short, is not only not thinking. It impairs your ability to think. Thinking means concentrating on one thing long enough to develop an idea about it. Not learning other people's ideas or memorizing a body of information, however much those may sometimes be useful. Developing your own ideas. In short, thinking for yourself. You simply cannot do that in bursts of 20 seconds at a time, constantly interrupted by Facebook messages or Twitter tweets, fiddling with your iPod or watching something on YouTube. You can tell this essay is old because it mentions iPods. Yeah, iPods. <laughs> you can also tell that Derezowitz does not use that much social media yeah. because I've never heard someone say Twitter tweets. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But but Facebook Messenger exists. Facebook like Messenger. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that was I guess that was back in the day before there was a separate app too. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Man, dating those those of you who are still on Facebook, yeah. that is. <laughs> well, I losers. I'm sorry to say that that their earnings still showed up really strongly. So you're deleting your account didn't hey, yet pay off. Oil companies make a lot of money <laughs> too. Right? Tobacco companies they make a lot That's of money. A really good point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this podcast is not sponsored by Facebook. Yeah. This, this podcast is sponsored by Philip Morris. <laughs> yeah. When we said that, yeah, I was like, actually, Nat's whole thing deleting Facebook was actually a trust me, I'm lying esque <laughs> yeah. marketing tactic to get more people to go to Facebook. Yeah. I mean, it's this sort of anti fragile response. Now we're yeah. talking about Facebook more. Oh, yeah. I want to check Facebook. Anyway. Anyway, back to the essay. Back to the essay. Tangent number one. Tangent one. We haven't done that. <laughs> we need the soundboard. <laughs> but yeah, it, the point he's starting to get at is there is so much going on in the lives of most people now that the type of thinking that is necessary for original, creative, interesting thought is almost not possible anymore. 
right? Because unless you make the effort. Unless you make the effort. Yeah, yeah. it takes a concentrated effort to find peace and quiet. Yeah. 40 years ago, it wouldn't be it the default. Yeah, it was kind of the default. You didn't have a phone on you, right? Like the house phone might ring every couple hours, but that was sort of the extent of it. Now, yes. I mean, I don't think if I turned on all of my notifications, I don't think I would go a minute or two without getting one, right? Yeah. Between Slack, Asana, Twitter, yep. just those three, I would get a notification probably every minute or two. That doesn't even count texts. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah. Text messages. And, you know, if you've got news alerts on, oh my God, right, yeah. you'll just get interrupted constantly. Yeah. And you're, that you're done. Yeah. You're done even before <laughs> you got started. Because, well, and the point he makes, I was going to quote him straight from here, which is that. He says, I find for myself that my first thought is never my best thought. My first thought is always someone else's. And I think that like actually the more we are surrounded by like a constant media landscape, the more often we think we're being original, more we're really just parroting somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> actually, funny enough, this is going to be a little dated by the time the podcast comes out. Kanye was talking about a lot of this this week. Yeah. Right. I feel like that was a lot of what his tweets were about. Like you're just like when you repeat something, you're very often you're probably just repeating what someone else is saying. His tweets were fire yeah <laughs> i was like holy shit philosopher king kanye yeah. west right <laughs> i was gonna say maybe he's been listening to made you think because a lot of the Something. topics he covered were like similar to other i was gonna say it sounded like you've been reading jordan peterson i was surprised he hadn't given him a shout out yeah they hadn't referenced him yet <laughs> <laughs> no actually he's just gonna open for him at the next thing on the jordan peterson tour <laughs> that would be an experience dave rubin's on the side but uh, kanye west comes out <laughs> west and peterson on tour <laughs> Wow, I would, I, would, I would pay good money. For I that. would pay a disgusting amount of money yeah. to see that. <laughs> it was already like a concert. So for context, Nat and I went and saw Jordan Peterson a few weeks ago yeah. in New York, and it was already kind of set up like a concert. It did feel like a concert. I mean, the energy in the room was <laughs> pretty wild yeah. for a University of Toronto psychology professor. professor talking about like philosophy and ethics. But yeah, and, and people <laughs> were just like on their feet, like cheering. Dave Rubin came out with yeah. kind of a mini comedy routine. <laughs> yeah, like, to open for him. Yeah. Man, Peterson I didn't was, expect anyone to open for him either. That no. was another thing. You don't see that at philosophy lectures. Let alone like Dave Rubin. Opening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's crazy too. Peterson was nobody two years ago. Yeah. Right. Right. Power of the internet. Yeah, just Hard. wild. Anyway, if you want more on Peterson, go listen to our 12 Rules for Life episode. Most popular episode? Second most. Second after Anti-Fragile. Wow, Anti-Fragile just keeps... It's getting close, though. Okay, it's, yeah. it's catching up. What's that one? Like, is, that, is it way ahead or is it like catching up? I would say 12 Rules for Life is at about 90% Ooh. of Anti-Fragile. All right, maybe by the so, next next week, maybe. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to it, you can help us out. Right? <laughs> Set a new podcast record. Help us out. It's yeah. like they're both our podcast episodes. <laughs> <laughs> No, go I mean, help us break our record. Go listen to both. Yeah, go listen to both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to this is like, yeah, the the first thought not being your best thought. That's a hundred percent true. Yeah. Like when you sit down to write about something or think about something, like I think we I mentioned this on an earlier episode, but basically I find my first you know few hundred words are pretty much garbage. Yeah. And that's once I even start, and that usually requires some effort to turn off my notifications, close email, like yeah, just make the effort to actually sit down and write. And even then, my first few thoughts are like not actually good or I find they're not developed. Yeah. And I mean, I find too that I almost have to let it run in the background, right? That sort yes. of default mode network processing. I need to sort of throw a bunch of, you know, initial ideas on the page, which are probably, you know, somebody else's ideas, right? That I'm, you know, working into an essay and then something interesting will come out of it yep. sort of randomly in the next few days when I'm not thinking about it. Yep. Right. So I have all You'll these... be like at the gym or like yeah. in the shower. In the or shower. Like... It's like, oh, wait, oh, that's great. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's where all the interesting stuff really starts to come from. But if yep. you just go with your first reaction, it's probably just taking someone else's ideas and kind of latching them onto yours. 
But you know, the interesting thing, though, is when we were talking about where those random ideas come from, mm -hmm. they often come like when you're not distracted by other things. So like when you're in the gym, you're probably not looking at Twitter and Slack messages and this and that. It's like you sort of get into a little bit of the out of your head mode when you're in the gym and you're, you're doing something. And that's probably why ideas pop out. And then the shower, we don't yet take our devices into the shower. You can, though. iPhone's waterproof. You can, but do not let yourself think that. Apparently, and don't quote me No, on it's this. not covered by the warranty, though. Well, no, it's not covered by the warranty. But what I was going to say is AirPods are apparently also waterproof. Oh, interesting. But that is not really mentioned anywhere. <laughs> but I have a friend who said that he's like dropped his in the pool a few times. He showers with them, everything, and they're totally fine. So again, even less solitude time then. Don't yeah, let yourself right. think that necessarily. Yeah. Don't believe me and go try this at home because if your AirPods die, like I can't it's not help you. By made, you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> made you think does not endorse the uh, statements of, <laughs> of Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the I find that like those solitude moments. Also, airplanes, weirdly enough, because I you know mm. and I never buy the Wi-Fi on the airplane. Yeah, and there's you no can't get up and move around. Yep. Yeah, I do my best writing and reading on the airplane. Yeah. Same. Like planning too, thinking yep. about, you know, long-term goals and stuff. What are the next things I need to go do? Like, yeah, even copywriting in a weird way. I mm. like doing that on planes. Yeah. Find it. So it's a good spot. Well, and this is actually a very good criticism of meditation too, because part of the goal of meditation is to quiet that default mode network where those ideas don't pop into your head and distract you. So you don't want those ideas to pop in your Yeah, I guess because you're trying to quiet the thinking, right? Because meditation is you're trying to bring it back to the breath, right? But a lot of those ideas is where your best thinking comes from. Right. And so if you're at the gym and you're just trying to, you know, recite your mantra and be totally in the moment, you lose you won't get that a lot of that background processing. And that's why I, I don't know, I go back and forth on some of the meditation stuff where it's really, it definitely has psychological and physiological benefits. Yep. Because I mean, it's so good for reducing your stress reactions to situations. But at the other hand, I can see how going too far with it, you lose some of that like mental firing creativity sparks yep. of ideas that are really helpful for creative work. Randomness. Exactly. But yeah, I think all of that is like the debate that we're talking about is kind of if you're in that part of the debate, you're probably in a good place. Yeah. Versus <laughs> if you're in like getting a notification every second. Yeah. That's the first step is reduce that. So turn, I mean, I haven't gone as far as Nat, like where I still have color on my phone. Uh, <laughs> so Nat doesn't have color on his phone. I still have color. I get notifications for a couple things, texts, and then certain Slack groups only, where it's basically those are like the emergency only Slack groups. Yeah. I have notifications turned on. <laughs> and let's see, anything else? Well, phone calls. That's it, actually. I don't have like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything. Well, you, you don't even have Facebook. I, have Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any of those notifications. I don't have like social, no I don't have news. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the only ones I get are texts. Problem is, even just texts are like, they still are significant enough. It might not be one every minute, but it's like, even if it's one every like 15, 20 minutes, yeah. it still jolts you out of your creative zone. So like, I have found you can mute notifications while you do creative work. Yeah, that helps a lot. Yeah. Well, and I was also going to say the other thing with texts too is just sort of training your friends to not expect you to respond yes. immediately. You've trained me. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I don't expect that. If I text that, <laughs> I'm like, maybe I'll get a response this week. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an email. It's like sending that an email. That's the thing. I, I, I treat texts like emails, right? It's actually a smart way to do it. And yeah, because like, I don't want to have a conversation with someone over text. Yeah, it's not I like, don't need to. It's yeah. like we can get on the phone, right? Right. 
Uh, what? So if you yeah, want to get on the phone with somebody, Nat. We can what? talk, you know, when you come over yeah, here every exactly. Friday. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I think that it's the feeling the immediacy, right? Yeah. So I, I do I do keep the notifications on just in case there is something kind of urgent for text. Yeah. But then it's just Slack and Asana. And I like having the Asana notifications, actually, because most of them you don't have to respond to. Right. It's just more FYI. It's a really thing. good, like, bird's eye view, just like seeing what's going on at the company. Yeah. Yeah. Without being like having to ping people without having to like check in with someone exactly. all the time that's the those are that's the best right and yeah. it's like i've been trying to set up more and more things like that in our operations as well where it's like i can sort of passively keep an eye on things but i don't necessarily need to be like hey so how's that project going or like because that's really annoying like and i when i used to have a boss you know, i never really had a boss that did that very often but whenever they did i would just be like why are you babysitting me like i will get this done yep and if you hire good people they don't want to be babysat they want to like get their job done and do get it well. Done. Yeah. And but as the boss, you kind of do need to make sure things are on track. You need some visibility. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is actually why stuff like Asana it's is great. so great. Yep. Because as long as everyone is tracking their work there, it's not a big brother E no. like I am hovering over your laptop watching you. It's a very like passive, oh, I can just see what's getting checked off yep. and you know what's you know behind. Are we due behind date? or yeah. we, is someone struggling with something? Maybe I can help unblock something or but you don't need to be the annoying like, hey, so how's that going today? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And, and going back to the essay, I mean, that's really important for the type of thinking that Rezowitz is talking about. Yeah. So continuing on exactly from that line you read, my first thought is always someone else's. It's always what I've already heard about the subject, always the conventional wisdom. It's only by concentrating, sticking to the question, being patient, letting all the parts of my mind come into play that I arrive at an original idea. And one thing I actually thought of while reading this was this podcast, because I think that I have some of my best insights about the books that we read while we are talking. Oh, same. And deep into the podcast. Yeah. Not at the beginning. At least 30, 45 minutes. Well, I remember (laughs) with uh, Discipline and Punish, right? I really didn't get the core idea of it until you, me and David were at dinner. And I started just monologuing about what I thought the book was about. And then about two minutes into that monologue, it just sort of like clicked. clicked and came together. It's like, oh, okay, yep. right, I get this now, but I didn't get it while I was reading it. And then talking about it more in the podcast, like helped even more. Even during the podcast, if you remember, there was a section, probably like the last 30 minutes of that episode mm-hmm. was incredible. At least I felt it was incredible. It was almost like an out of body yeah. kind of discussion where we felt like we really got to the core of like that book, how it relates to postmodernism. And like our own thoughts on and it. Like, and the modern, yeah, the modern versions of it with all the SJWs. But stuff. I never really, yeah. I never came into that feeling that way. It could have just been all the wine too. During the episode, that's true. <laughs> Actually, that was a wine episode. No, I, I agree. I agree. It's <laughs> like we, we, got, we got further into it and then it really felt like it was clicking. Yeah. And it ended up being one of the most popular episodes too. Yeah, so. postmodernism, who'd have thought? Yeah, who'd have thunk it? So. <laughs> Anyway, check that one out too if you haven't listened to it. That yeah. was a good one. That was a good one. They're all good. They're all good. We can't, we're not allowed. They're like our, you know, yeah. so you can't have a, a, have we had a kid that you don't like. That was a book I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily recommend, recommend reading that book. The only episode I've heard some negative feedback about is the uh, In Praise of Idleness one. But yeah, we haven't done that nobody, format again. People didn't like us reading the whole essay. And I guess our audience is not idle people. But it's true. You guys should take some time. Yeah, take some breaks. <laughs> you got you to gotta <laughs> get some, some solitude mail. to think. We got some hate mail now. <laughs> no, productivity. Productivity. <laughs> That's what it's all about. But okay, and speaking of that, actually, <laughs> yeah, uh, he brought up this point that like a lot of good work happens actually really slow and over an extended period of time. Because as he's saying, right, you need some time to develop that those core ideas. So it brings up the example of James Joyce writing Ulysses, um, which he calls the greatest novel of the 20th century. I'm wanting to read that. I haven't read it yet. 
I don't think there's any reason to read it. Oh, you have read it? No, I haven't. Okay. But from everything I understand about it, he literally just wrote it to show off how smart he was <laughs> by writing the most complicated, you know, un-understandable book possible. Oh, so there's not really a point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's apparently a, a beautiful, amazingly written book. But my suspicion is that that is just something that, you know, Harvard English nerds tell each other so they can like feel special about having slogged through it. Or Yale. Right, or Yale. Yeah, <laughs> it's... Yeah, just everything I've heard about it is it's the hardest dentist book to get, to get through, through out there. And you really only do it so that you can tell people that you read Ulysses. So I guess now this is going to be less impactful. But he said that James Joyce wrote Ulysses at a rate of about 100 words a day. And it took him seven years. Yeah. At that pace. So it took him a long time to write that beautiful, potentially meaningless prose. <laughs> 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 but hey, I haven't read it. So I'm just that's just that's just not. I'm not opinion, saying everyone agrees just, with me. Yeah, that's, that's just this guy's opinion, too, that he thinks it's the greatest. Of the 20th century, so yeah, you guys should have talked about that. That would have been fun. I know, yeah, I should, <laughs> I should hit him up, ask him <laughs> what's so good about it. Exactly, but yeah, I think like to his point, right, is that you do. He, he says it right here. He says you do your best thinking by slowing down and concentrating. Yeah, doesn't mean you need to take seven years to write a book or a blog post. Yeah, hundred words per day for seven years. It's quite slow, it's but quite slow. But I think what he means is like, and I don't know if you feel this. I know when I write, it might take me a while. It's like some time to get to that core idea yeah. for that to surface at some point. But then once that core idea is surfaced, the actual writing doesn't take that long. Right. Like you can pound out a lot of words. It's just, you just need that right idea though. Yeah. Framing it as a hundred words a day is very deceptive. Yes. Because I highly doubt that he sat down and wrote a hundred words each day. I bet he wouldn't write anything for six days and then he'd write, you know, a thousand words. Yeah. Because that's totally how I do my writing Same. too. Yeah. Where I throw a bunch of random notes into Evernote and then, you know, one day it just sort of like appears, right? <laughs> I'll like bang out 2,000 words in an hour and say, oh, cool, the article's done. Yep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're mostly good. And they're, yeah. the idea was strong. The idea's and been sitting in there. You just need to like proofread here and there and like you're moving around bullet points. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that the, the delete Facebook article I literally wrote in like 45 minutes oh, in wow. the morning because I just had some of those notes in there. I was like, all right, fuck it, it's time. Yep. So it's funny how that works. Yeah. But that that is, you do need that like, there are things you can do to make that creative spark come sort of quicker. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is solitude, I think, it plays a big part. Solitude, great outlines, time to think, having lots of ideas to begin with. But part of, part of that, too, and the, the solitude and the way of processing uh, thoughts is kind of what he gets into next about how work is a way of finding yourself, especially solitary work. Very zen idea. Yeah, it, it is exactly <laughs> Japanese zen, right? Oh. Because... It's like we talked about in Way of Zen, right? The traditional Japanese Zen was very, it wasn't much focused on sitting meditation, right? Right. It was more like archery, tea ceremonies, calligraphy. There's a fourth one that was really big. And cleaning was a part of it as well. Or gardening. Gardening. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, of course, the gardens were the a gardens. part of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like those four activities were the really big Zen practices, not sitting and meditating. Right. Because you sort of found that solace and that peace of mind in your work. In the repetitive task. Yeah. Basically. And yeah. It, I mean, if you've done something, you know, serious with your hands that takes a lot of time, you know oh, yeah. how you just kind of like get into it. You get in that groove and you're not really thinking. Yep. Even honestly, something stupid like building IKEA furniture. Yeah. Right. You do get I it. I kind of feel it doing that. Yep. Yeah. Like Adil just moved into his apartment. And so they've got a whole bunch of Ikea furniture. And I'm like very excited to go over there later today and help them build it. Because it's, it's just a great feeling. Yeah. Like doing something manual. You're a little out of your head. Honestly, even like cleaning up. Yeah. Gets cleaning that. is fair. Yeah. yeah. Like work clean. Right. Yep. I think that's part of the benefit. Cleaning, organizing. Exactly. You know, getting to zero. Right. Cleaning your space out. It's very 
relaxing. Yeah. It just feels, it in a feels weird like way, it's your mind. It's going to sound super, maybe, maybe not super dorky. I don't know. I mean, you, you be the judge. Even though I try to make people use a CRM to like keep track of their leads, I personally am horrible at it, like at forcing myself to do it. So uh, like the past couple of days, I've been trying to set aside like an hour to just organize it. And this weekend I'm going to finish is like get all my leads and all my active deals into the CRM. So I at least have some way to visualize that. Um, not going to lie. It is kind of you get a little bit of that Zen feeling because it's yeah. effectively cleaning. Mm-hmm. Like you're just looking and adding it and tracking and like just adding people's contact info in there. Like it's just I mean, it's very mindless. It could be boring, but, you know, you get get a good playlist going and you just got to lose yourself in it in a weird way. It's funny. I've been doing that this week, too. Yeah. I just set up Salesforce. It's like spring cleaning, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, there's something nice. Right? Yeah. It is a big, bulky, kind of ugly, confusing tool. But when little pieces start to click, yes. and it's like, oh, okay, I see how this workflow kind of comes together now. You see why it makes some sense. Then. Yeah. Especially when you start visualizing your pipeline, you're like, oh, okay. Now I know why people do this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you using Salesforce or something else? No, I told you I was using HubSpot. Oh, that's right, HubSpot. Yeah, yeah. I know you hate HubSpot. <laughs> I, I don't hate HubSpot. I don't hate HubSpot. I have a good friend who works have you, there. You use their marketing side, right? Before or their sales side? Uh, I've used their marketing like landing page. Yeah, so that's a slightly different product. So, yeah, I think it's a different product. Yeah, so we're using HubSpot sales. Also, to be clear, I used it in 2014. Uh, so yeah, it could so be amazing. Yeah, hopefully they changed it in last week. <laughs> I haven't used the marketing stuff as much. It came as part of, I told you they had that startup package thing. Mm-hmm. That was like a ridiculous deal. So it came with the marketing stuff. We haven't set up any of that stuff yet. I'm, I'm going to try it out and see how it how it goes and if it is any good. Um, but so far, I mainly use the sales stuff, and it's been it's like lighter weight than Salesforce. Okay, but it offers like a lot of like like ninety percent of the customization in a slightly better UI. Mm. Actually, dude, the new Salesforce UI it's is good. Really yeah, I heard nice. it's, I heard it's very different because yeah. I use Salesforce in my two previous things. At SDA we use Salesforce, and at Mom Trusted we use Salesforce, and it was garbage. Oh, like, yeah. Not necessarily from a product standpoint. I'm sure it like did the job, but it was painful to use. Yeah. Oh my god! It was like looking at like Windows 95 or something. Yeah. The new one is really okay. Maybe I got to give it a try. I can show you later. Yeah. But (laughs) anyway, but yeah, that in a weird way, like that type of like organization is also kind of a good way to get out of your own head. Well, and just certain types of work too. That is, and you know, this is basically flow, right? Well, okay. So I take that back. I think there's two versions. There's the flow where you're doing something cognitively challenging yeah. right so with the writing right yeah. you're kind of on that level but then i guess there's also this kind of flow where it's not difficult right and we don't talk about this flow as much it's not a hard thing right cleaning is not hard right. you're not challenging yourself but you still get into a flow like state and i wonder how those are different cognitive. yeah i wonder how they're different right because you don't hear about the second one as much people no. usually talk about flow in the context of productivity like right. oh you want to get in the zone you want to get in flow and then you like, right, 2,000 words an hour. Uh. What was that notification app that told you to check if you're in <laughs> yeah. or not? I, yeah, what was it? We don't well, need to give it a shout out. But the idea was like, it gets, it sends you a notification like every 15 minutes. I mean, the weird thing is, I want to say it was from Stephen Kotler, the guy who wrote Rise of Superman, right? <laughs> like the book about flow or one of the books about flow. And I think they got this app made to help you figure out what gets you into flow. But then, of course, if you're responding to a notification, the, like, it's going to knock you out, right? right. So it's a strange idea. Know, but, but- People probably bought it. Yeah. I mean, it could be useful. There was a, so the next thing that he mentioned here, were you done with the flow thing or? Uh, well, no, I was just going to say. This was related, but yeah, you could finish the thought. Yeah. I mean, r- related to what he's saying here, right? There, there is that second type of flow. Yeah. Where you're doing something kind of mindless, but it's helping you kind of, I, I would say like defrag your hard drive or whatever. Reading fiction I've found can be similar. 
Yeah. Where it's like you get lost in the we're reading a big fiction right now. So I have noticed that a couple of times. It's it's only if you set aside like a solid chunk of time. It's not like the first 10 minutes of reading. Right. It'll be like you set aside like an hour and like somewhere in the middle of that, you're like kind of lost in the plot. If it's a good book. Yeah. You really get into it. And you guys will find out what that is next you week. You will next week. I guess I'm sure we mentioned it. Yeah. I think at some point. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll keep it. You, you have week. to go back and listen to a few past episodes. Yeah. To find it. It's an Easter egg. <laughs> and if you do guess successfully before the episode comes out, maybe we'll do a giveaway <laughs> for the people who find it successfully. Yeah. <laughs> Something. Yeah. A bad giveaway. Yeah. For that book. For that maybe. book. That'd be a good giveaway. Yeah. Anyway, back to the book. But the, the where I was going to go with that is that um, he brings up the differences between a book versus like a tweet. Right. And I think there's a major, major difference. It came up in uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death as well. Yeah. Though not in the context of Twitter, but in, in the context of TV versus book. I would say Twitter versus book is even more of a stark difference. Yeah. But his point is that a book has two advantages from the book. But a book has two advantages over a tweet. First, the person who wrote it thought about it a lot more carefully. The book is the result of his solitude, his attempt to think for himself. And I think that's like pretty core distinction because like if I think of something in 30 seconds, it's very easy for me to go tweet it out. And there's a very, very, very good chance that that tweet is like one, not original, not interesting, and has been talked about like a million times yeah. already. That's like very possible. Whereas a book that is also possible, but it's just less possible because there's a lot more steps between you coming up with the idea for a book and actually having that book released. They have to spend way more time to yep. actually get it out there. Whereas Twitter, I mean, it's so easy to put something. Which is the beauty of it. Yeah. But the beauty of uh, it's also the the fatal flaw as well with it. So yeah. it's just, you know, something to be, to be careful of. And then it's also why a lot of people, I mean, like I've heard this from people who are maybe more than like our parents' age, will say like, oh yeah, I don't really read books, but I read like the newspaper. And it's like the newspaper, writing a newspaper article, you know, those people might be accomplished writers or good writers, but they haven't put the thought into that article that somebody who, you know, wrote a book that has lasted 2000 years yeah. would have put into it because they got to pump out a new article every day or several articles a day if it's a blog. Right. Like 15, 20 articles sometimes a day. Why? Well, I, uh, I had an article about this on my blog a while ago. It was basically ephemerality versus value. Yeah. Right, so the more ephemeral, oh, I that one. Yeah, yeah. The more ephemeral a source of information, the less valuable it is. And so stuff like Snapchat is inherently valueless or negative value yeah. because it's meant to be destroyed in six seconds. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a great book that could be around or per Lindy rule that has already been around. Well, for, he brings up Lindy in the very next paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> so <he> says, <laughs> I, I can just read this section. Second, most books are old. This is not a disadvantage. This is precisely what makes them valuable. They stand against the conventional wisdom of today simply because they're not from today. Even if they merely reflect the conventional wisdom of their own day, they say something different from what you hear all the time. But the great books, the ones you find on a syllabus, the ones people have continued to read, don't reflect the conventional wisdom of their day. They say things that have the permanent power to disrupt our habits of thought. They were revolutionary in their time, and they are still revolutionary today. I mean, if that's not Lindy, then yeah, <laughs> nothing is. So, exactly the only yeah. rule. Yeah, so I think that was that's a really powerful thing. And again, another great argument for reading actual books. Yeah. And not necessarily reading like snippets of books or whatever that one is that I, I still I saw oh, that yeah. ad on Instagram yesterday. Blinkist? Yeah. That one. Like, yeah. The average CEO reads 60 Oh, books Mentor week. Box. Yeah. Oh God. I was like, yeah, they read. Yeah, they actually read. <laughs> not a day, a year. year. <laughs> a day. That would be so silly. That'd be crazy. Yeah. It's also like we're on that pace, I feel like, because of the like, podcast. Yeah, 60 books a year. 
Yeah. Yeah, easy. Yeah, I mean, we've been reading and running through a bunch. Yeah, well, because I read other books on the same, side, too, same. from yeah, the podcast Which is crazy. Books. Yeah. Well, which, we, we are insane. <laughs> but, I mean, I had a friend who asked me about this, and he was like, well, how do you find time to like read everything else? And then I was, I basically said, what, like, what do you mean everything else? Yeah. Or like, I don't read articles right, for the exactly. most part, unless yep. they're really highly recommended. And I don't spend much time on, obviously, like no time on Facebook or Instagram anymore. And it's really just books. You don't really do Twitter that much either. It's just I, I, I do Twitter a lot. Oh, a lot. Yeah, I, I love Twitter. I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Really? I feel, <laughs> yeah. like, you don't, I feel like you tweet like a couple times a day. Well, yeah, but I go, I respond and I check it a lot. I got I, it. Okay, yeah. I yeah. find interesting things. There on are it. interesting things on Twitter. I mean, it's yeah. a cesspool, but it's great. <laughs> it's kind of like Reddit. If you follow the right people, yeah. you know, it's very interesting. Exactly. So. It's fully curate. You, know, you can curate your experience. But yeah, I'm very, I'm very bimodal. I'm either reading, you know, this stuff or I'm like, you know, fighting with somebody on Twitter or looking at silly shit on Reddit. So <laughs> nice. I feel like that's a good balance. It's, yeah. the, it's the articles in the middle where you can lose a lot of time. Yeah. Or newspapers, right? Articles, newspapers, news in general. Yeah. I think like th- those are the bigger waste of time. Not all articles. Some articles are really good. Yeah. The ones on my site are awesome. But... <laughs> Skin in the game, but all, all those other sites. Yeah, <laughs> I'd read my blog if you know if I didn't write it. But. You're like, no, I read one blog. I read one blog, my own. Yeah, <laughs> just a year after I write articles, they get emailed to me. It's like, oh, cool, this is great. This is a good article. I wonder who wrote. This. Yeah, I wonder who wrote this. <laughs> you can start doing that podcast when our podcast is a year old. Yeah, episode of the day. Go back and listen to old episodes. We'll get there soon. Yeah, we're actually what so, September. Yeah, I think we started in September. Yeah, we started in yeah. September. Still got a ways to go. Yeah. But yeah, so what he's saying then is that solitude, it can be like three things so far. It can be introspection, right? So being alone with your thoughts and trying to think about it. It can mean the concentration of focused work, and it can also mean sustained reading. So any of those three can work as great forms of solitude, the kind of solitude you need to think these bigger original thoughts to you know, allow you to actually be more of a leader, because all of them help you to know yourself better. But then he adds in there's one more thing which he includes as a form of solitude, and I'll I'll read from the book, but there's one more thing I'm going to include as a form of solitude, and it will seem counterintuitive. Friendship. Of course, friendship is the opposite of solitude. It means being with other people. But I'm talking about one kind of friendship in particular, the deep friendship of intimate conversation, long, uninterrupted talk with one other person. That's like we were saying at the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the podcast. Yeah, Yeah, I find like the podcast, and then, you know, occasionally I'll go to like dinner with, with a friend, and it'll be like, a four-hour-long dinner, like yeah. three-hour-long dinner. Those are awesome. It's like you can talk about everything, and you get into a level of nuance which you just can't get into online or you know even on a phone call. To be honest, like unless it's a very long phone call, but there's just kind of nothing that replaces that one-on-one just talking. Yeah, and that's I agree. Like you can form your ideas in that in that type of a conversation. Sometimes it's better. Yeah, I think it's better actually because sometimes you need someone else to bounce them off of or challenge you or challenge you. You know, where yeah, or you have an incorrect assumption. Right. I find it's best when someone comes from a slightly different angle to things from you, but similar enough where you sort of share like a common ground. Yeah. But then you sort of are each other's guardrails, or they're good at challenging. Yeah. Ideas, even if they agree with them, right? They know good questions to ask. They like playing devil's advocate. Yeah, they like playing devil's advocate. I do that with you sometimes on the podcast. It's fun. Where I'll I'll actually agree with you. I think you do that too. Yeah. It's like, I actually agree with exactly what you're saying, but then I'm like, let me just be a dick here. And completely just just be difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, well, what do you think about this scenario? (laughs) Hey, it's good, right? I feel like it, I mean, doing that too helps you refine your own ideas, right? right? Trying to understand the counter argument well enough to argue it. Yeah, strong manning it. Yeah. I feel like that's a technique that is really hard to do online. Yeah. Also, 
but in person it's it actually comes across as um it comes across fine but imagine if every time you tweeted i would respond and be like well nat have you considered this and like you'd feel like i hate this guy i'm not gonna gonna (laughs) blow him yeah he's just so annoying (laughs) but in person it's like you can kind of you're very well aware that i'm just sort of like it's for the sake of the discussion and not because I'm like challenging you, Nat. It's like more the challenging the idea. Yeah. And it's done in like a civil way. Whereas online, it could quickly devolve. Exactly. <laughs> you would be doing it as a joke, but then somebody else would jump in and be like, yeah, Neil's right. Like <laughs> all white people should die. And it's like, whoa, okay, that escalated <laughs> quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although it's funny. I mean, some people, all white people dying is not funny. The <laughs> private conversation is funny. Uh, some people just don't take that type of devil's advocate very well. They don't like it? Yeah, well, I, they almost, I think it's people who are personally, they're emotionally associated with their ideas. Yeah. Right, so if you have an emotional connection to things that you believe or think, right, if you have a lot of crony beliefs, then you will not like it if someone is challenging your beliefs. It's in good heuristic. Yeah, it's a great heuristic. Take a shot. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I noticed this, I was at a dinner with a few people who I wasn't like that close with. And somebody had said something about like, oh, you know, Trump voters are just like stupid and don't know what they're doing. And I was like, okay, here we go. This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh, you right? did it. Yeah. And, then, and then I was like, I don't think that's true, right? I mean, imagine that you're, you know, making $30,000 a year living in the middle of like Oklahoma and you're seeing all these like Asians and Indians coming into the U.S. and getting into colleges easier than you can because they're diversity picks. And then you've got all of these like Mexicans coming in and taking the jobs in your area, the like blue collar jobs, because, you know, they'll work for a lower wage than you. And so you're like really stuck. And then you get like hooked on opiates and you're just like wasting away in middle America, right? Like it's really easy to become racist if you're in that situation. And she did not like that at all. She's just like, no, you're wrong. They just don't know what they're doing. Wait, what did she mean? Don't know what they're doing? She was like, if they voted for Trump, they must be stupid. Oh, like intellectually stupid. There could not be a reasonable reason to not want immigrants in the country. So there's not a logical. Yeah. She was like, there's no way they are thinking logically. And my point was like, well, they are probably thinking logically because we do that to a certain extent. They just have very different inputs than you. Well, and you brought up a point on one of the previous, I think one of the Sapiens episodes that challenged something that I internally was saying to myself. But then when I like heard you say it, I was like, huh, I should have actually thought of that. So it's like, we get in these camps, right? I think it, I think it was something about immigration. And then mm-hmm. you brought up the point that's like, it's possible to be for, in general, like having a diverse society and some immigration, but it's insane to say we want open borders. Yeah. Right. And like, I thought about that. I was like, wow, there's a lot more nuance in that. Cause like, I would just been like, oh, I'm for immigration. But it's like, there is a point where I'd be like, well, it's too much immigration. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's not being like racist or something. It's just like, it can change the whole character of a country mm-hmm. if you bring in people with a different belief system. Right. And, uh, I mean, you you see that. But it's weird because I just would think of like myself as being pro-immigration. But then I'm like, wait, there's definitely a point where I'd be like, uh-uh, yeah. like, too much, <laughs> right? But does that mean I'm for closed borders? No, but it's like some like some like middle area. But it's very hard to define, especially in this sort of polarized, like you have to be on one side or the other oh, yeah. <laughs> type of thing. Well, it's, I mean, the perfect way to kind of like think about that, you know, on or just like as a mental exercise, like if we took in 300 million Middle Eastern refugees, yeah. right? this would be a very different country, right? And I'm not sure that's a society that I want to live in. And I'm not sure even the people who would say they're for like open borders, if you show them what the society would look like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they would not look like like from a skin color standpoint. Let me be yeah. very clear. Ideological that. standpoint. Yes, yeah. yeah. So not like from a race standpoint, but more from a what ideas the society represents. 
it would look very, very different. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's honestly, it's like all of these issues. I feel like you start at a strong side and then you learn more about it. And if you're, you know, somebody who can sit in solitude and think like Dorezowitz is talking about here, then you naturally have to move towards the middle, right? Because it's like the riddle of the gun episode. Yeah. Where, you know, before reading that article and a few others, I was very like, no, we should just ban guns, right? And then I read the article and I was like, oh, wow, we shouldn't ban guns, yeah. right? Like, we have to think about this much more. Did you hear the Joe Rogan episode recently? The one with uh, Colin or Col- Colin? I, I want to say it's Colin. The guy no. who's, um, he actually has a show on NRA TV, but he's like very opposite of what you would expect an NRA person to be. Okay. So first of all, he's black. It's like right. one. Second thing is that he's like, for everything else, he's actually very like left-wing. Hmm. So Joe Rogan was asking him a lot of questions on like, well, how do you stop gun violence? And like, I've heard his stance actually from other people who used to be like more like inner city types because his main topic was kind of the Chicago type stuff, which we talked about too. And uh, he brought the point that it's like really a socioeconomic problem. It's not really a like guns are sort of the symptom of a problem. And he brings up the point of like selling drugs, which he says is the cause of a lot of the Chicago shootings. Yeah. And he's like, so if you're a kid who goes to a really crappy, effectively segregated school, and you know you're 17 or 16 and want to like have anything in your life like here's this tailor-made narcotics economy for you it's kind of your main pathway up so you start you join that but then you have a product and need to protect your product otherwise people are going to take it from you so you get a gun right and then like when someone does try to take it from you maybe you shoot them maybe it's just self-defense but it's still a homicide you know it's still a gun-related homicide that would get counted as part of that stat yeah and he's like it's really a symptom of this narcotics economy that exists and gangs and stuff. So that's his point is most of the gun deaths in America are tied to that and tied to handguns, not really the assault weapon stuff. That's part of uh, Thaddeus Russell's big argument too about gun violence that I find pretty convincing where he said something really similar that it's so much of it is gang related and gang related crime stems from mostly drugs, some prostitution, and, you know, then like firearms stealing to other gangs and stuff. Right. Yep. And so his, that's part of his big argument for why we should legalize drugs is like if you make drugs legal, then there is no like funding source for these criminal organizations. Anymore. Well, there's also nothing that then they are not even just funding sources. Almost what are they protecting then? Yeah, really. Right. Because you're protecting it because it's so valuable because in like an ounce of cocaine. Well, and you're protecting it because you can't legally protect. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because the loss of the the whole the whole court system is completely irrelevant. You can't sue someone for stealing your to court for stealing cocaine, your coke. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you can go to the police and be like, "Hey, you stole from me. What do you steal? Uh, <laughs> you stole never mind. Bag. Yeah, it doesn't matter what was in doesn't it. Matter. Yeah, just don't, don't look inside, please. <laughs> yeah, I wonder like if it was legal, there'd be a whole infrastructure around this stuff, and it would be like banks basically, yeah. or pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. probably like that. Yeah, it'd be very different. So anyway, that was a lot of their conversation was about that. And then suicide was the other part is like how mm-hmm. much of that number is made up of suicides. And he's like, you know, if you took away the guns, like maybe people would more unsuccessfully kill themselves or kill themselves by other means. But you probably have to look at why do people want to kill themselves in the first place, which yeah. I actually totally buy. That's a it's a very good point. Like, why do so many people want to kill themselves? Right. Yeah. I think that's a very valid thing to look about. So they talked about opioids. I feel like you'd really like that. It sounds like a good episode. Let's check it out. And Joe was very like he's very uh like non-confrontational in the episode he's really letting the other guy kind of talk and nice his point so it was pretty interesting yeah but like the gun control is a perfect example of that i think abortion is also a perfect example yeah. where i was very like oh obviously like pro-choice is the way for all of it and then if anyone hasn't watched ron paul's video oh yeah you told me about this on one. Yep. you know why he isn't pro-choice you should go watch it because it will at least make you question 
you're like steadfast. And he's believer. libertarian. Yeah, he's libertarian. So which, like, and normally a libertarian would be pro-choice, right? Yeah. But he isn't. Yeah. And, you know, basically the story he's telling which is, is why the libertarian party has never run him, by the way. Oh, yeah. That yeah, makes sense. They rejected him. Because yeah. Of that. And that's so why he had to run as a Republican. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's pro-life and that's opposite of the exactly. libertarian party. But his, the stories he tells, it's very compelling, right? Because he worked as an OB and he would go into one room where he had to help a woman abort you know, a fetus. And then you go into the other room and help a woman save a baby that was literally like a day older as the one he just aborted. Right. But in one room, he's like saving this child in the other room, he's throwing it away. And he's just like, I can't, I don't know where to draw the line. And so I just can't draw the line. Yeah. Right. And that, you know, it's, that's a hard question. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think and exactly. It's one that like doesn't have a clear answer. Yeah. Right. And it's, but coming back to this, right, if you never actually sit and think about these things, if you just take somebody else's ideas, exactly. right, yep. and be like, oh, right, like, this is my belief. It's like the 13-year-old who's arguing about politics, right? They're just parroting whatever their parents say when they go home. Well, 13 or even, I would honestly say there's probably plenty of 30-year-olds who just say whatever Stephen Colbert said last night, and that's yeah. like their beliefs. And you're like, okay, you haven't thought about a single one of those things that you just said. Well, you see this in, obviously, in like tech and everything, too. I mean, I had a conversation with someone. We started talking about... AI and transcendence, right? Like the ability to upload your brain to a computer. And it became very clear very quickly that all he had read was the Wait But Why article on the topic. And he was just saying like... Good article. But- great article, great article. But if you're just repeating what another article has said, then you haven't really thought about right. the topic. And I don't remember where I heard this. I think it was with Robin Hansen, the guy who wrote Elephant in the Brain okay. with... Uh, I can't remember the other author. The guy who writes Melting Asphalt. Anyway, Robin Hansen was on an episode with Sam Harris, and somebody asked them to comment on immigration. Okay. And Robin's response was basically like, that's not what I study, and so I'm not going to give you an opinion on it. And then he went on to say that we have this bad habit of feeling like everybody should have an opinion on everything. But if you haven't really thought about it, you shouldn't like it's kind of irresponsible. You shouldn't act like you have an informed opinion just because you have some power. Right. And it's really hard to do that to yourself, to be like, oh, I shouldn't say anything about this because I don't, I have no idea what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. It's really hard to have it, to have that when you also, when you have podcasts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I catch myself sometimes yeah. Well, I'll start to say yeah. something. I know I've done this a few times, so I don't think on the podcast, but in conversation. You stop saying stuff on the podcast too. Maybe about, we edit okay. it out, but. but yeah, we might edit know, it out. Maybe if they've heard it or not. But yeah, we've definitely want, done ones where you're like, no, you know what? I'm not going to say yeah, like, I have no idea what I'm saying. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's definitely come up before. Yeah. But, but it that's is hard. It's really hard to yeah. do. Yeah. It's like, you know, the checking your ego, wanting to like talk about everything. Like it's not an easy. I've been forcing myself to do it when it comes to like current events on Twitter, like responding about stuff or posting something about something. It's like, one, I probably don't know all the facts yet. Two, like, I don't know anything about this at all. <laughs> yeah. So like the third thing is like, who am I really informing about this? Because like everyone's already heard of this event, right? Like, so really, what am, I, what am I contributing here? It's like the bombing in Syria, the midnight bombing in Syria, right? And then all these people are going on Twitter, getting outraged. And it's like, okay, how much time have you spent in the that. military or in, you know, foreign policy? Or anything? it's like, no. And also how much of the information that we've got right now is exactly, is, is 100% accurate, right? Yeah. So you're getting worked up about information that's probably not even accurate yet. And honestly, they're probably just getting worked up because Trump did something right. that they don't like on an emotional level. Right. And therefore, he's evil and we need to be angry. Exactly. It's like no matter. Oh, uh, speaking of that, I saw that literally this morning on Twitter when I was on my way over here. What was it? So it was uh, the in Korea, right? There was yeah. the, the whole like Kim Jong-un and um, what's the South Korean person's name? Moon? Yeah. Something Moon. Uh, I'm not going to. 
I'm not informed enough yes, to tell you have an opinion on who he might be. Anyway, I have the image in my head of what yeah. they were hugging in the DMZ. It was pretty cool. And like they announced they're going to end the Korean War later on this year. Woohoo, that's yeah. awesome. Right. And then they asked the South Korean pres- um, prime minister, president, I don't know what their leader, what, what the title is, but anyway, their leader, if they thought that Trump had anything to do with it. And they said they, ha- they give huge credit to, to Trump. Wow. And all these people on Twitter on the right were like, see, Donald Trump should get the Nobel Peace Prize. All these people on the left were like, this is complete, like a complete outrage. Just say this because they're right wing too. Or like, yeah. like basically it's like whatever camp you were in is what made your, or what sort of decided your thoughts on this. Yeah. It wasn't like independently thought. Like in general, I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump, but if he brings peace in Korea, yeah, that's, that's pretty huge. huge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like credit where credit's due, I guess. Right. I want to go read that because I'm curious what they gave him credit for. Yeah, I think it was uh, just like moving the dialogue forward effectively. Mm. Um, I, I didn't get into the all the details because I got here and then I know we had a hard yeah. stop. <laughs> but it looked like, I mean, it was like, it looks like they're actually moving forward with some type yeah, of peace it pretty deal. Serious. It's pretty crazy. I mean, Kim Jong-un is the first North Korean leader to step foot in South Korea, I think. You don't be nuts. What if Trump like saw not Trump solves, but like the world solves the or the the, the people themselves solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as well during the next like two years? That would be insane. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, at that point, as much as I think he's a complete dick, like Donald Trump would deserve the Nobel Peace Prize probably. If he had a hand in it. Yeah, Yeah, if he had a hand in both things, Mm -hmm. that would be insane. That would be wild. That would yeah. be insane. Not saying that's likely, but you never you know. Never know. You never know. Yeah. All right. So should we wrap up on the end here? Yeah. So we got friendship. We got, you know, thinking about this stuff beforehand because it's pretty important. And then, you know, like kind of taking that time to sit and quiet, think about these things, like try to address these problems in your head before you encounter them in the real world. Yep. Right. He's got the example of, so again, he's speaking to West Point. Waiting until you have to confront them in practice would be like waiting for your first firefight to learn how to shoot your weapon. Once the situation is upon you, it's too late. You have to be prepared in advance. You need to know already who you are and what you believe. Not what the army believes, not what your peers believe. That may be exactly the problem, but what you believe. You have to figure this stuff out for yourself before your morals get called into question. Yeah. Well, that's 100% true because I think actually the next section, the, the final section really, is he talks about solitude being the very essence of leadership. Right. It's a lonely job. Like any kind of leadership is a lonely job Like because you ultimately have to make the decision. and you do see, and maybe this is a generalization, but I'm going to make it anyway. So in large companies, you see very often people try to make decisions by committee. Mm-hmm. I think part of the reason for that is a lot of the people have come through what he's talking about here is like this effectively jumping through hoops style of leadership. Yeah. It's never really have to think through their morals and like stand behind them. And so very often nobody really, they get to the top, but they don't necessarily know what they need to do. So they're like, all right, we're going to get nine other people in this room to make this decision. And that's really, I think he makes this point here at the end, is that however many people you may consult, you are the one who has to make the hard decisions. And at such moments, all you really have is yourself. So it's like wise to maybe get counsel from people, but ultimately it's your decision. And very often at large companies, you see people shirk that decision, even like at the CEO level sometimes. Yeah. It's very interesting to see. But I, you know, I think his point here is that it's a lonely job and you know, for anyone to be a leader, it's a lonely job and you need to kind of have thought through this stuff for yourself before you get to that situation where you need to make the decision. Yeah. And have the confidence to trust the decisions you arrive at. Yep. Right. Based on that time that you're taking to really think the problem through, give it your full attention. Yeah. And um, I guess, are there any recommendations we'd make for people to give themselves more solitude than notifications? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a big the one. big one. For me, it's the first thing I do every day. 
So I wake up and I read for an hour mm. and drink mushroom coffee. Nice. And pet my puppy. And we That's just we, we just chill on the couch for an hour. It's really cute too, because she'll like get up and go over and get some food and water while I'm making the mushroom coffee and stuff. And then I'll come over and sit on the couch and start reading. And then she'll run over and start pawing at the couch for me to like pick her up, put her <laughs> next to me. And then she'll just like pass out next to my leg and I'll pet her for an hour while I'm reading. And that's great. Like solitude. I don't put any music or anything on. Yep. I think that's actually a big one is not having music on for some part of your day because we were surrounded by it so much. Right. Especially being in New York, even if you're just walking, there's so much yeah. background noise anyway. Just sitting in quiet and reading or writing or any of that is great. Essential. Yeah. yeah. How about you? Uh, I do have the same kind of routine. It's not usually not for an hour. It's about a half hour for me, but I'll wake up, make some coffee and read. And that's just a great way to start the day. Yeah. Like it just really gets you kind of like, I find out I also end up taking notes at that time sometimes, mm. like just random thoughts will pop into my head. Yeah. And the other thing is I've started doing the gratefulness journal again. Oh, nice. So that's another where at the end of the reading time, I'll just, it takes like five minutes, if even that. And I just write down like, you know, what I'm grateful for that day. And then I also write down what are like, What's my number one to do that day? Mm. And I find force limiting it to one is actually really hard. But once you have that and it's like, okay, today, if at the end of the day, this is the only thing I've accomplished, I'll feel good about it. All right. And it really forces you to kind of make that like sort of hyper focus uh, and prioritization, which is otherwise, you know, I know for me, my to-do list ends up being too long then. Yeah. But like, and then I'll have like 10 things, but you can't really have 10 priorities. It doesn't really happen, right? No. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've learned that like the hard way. <laughs> I used to do like the to-do list thing. I think Jocko and Tim Ferriss have talked about that before. We'll be like at night. With the index card? Yeah, like if it can fit on the index. Yeah, like three to five items. Exactly. Yeah. But I find that like I'll just cram many more things into the uh, index card. I'll yeah. be like, well, I can put 20 things on this index card. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, I'll be like, I did three things. So I should have only done three. But then I'll make the same mistake the next, the next day. day. Yep. So now I just, I'm like, I give myself one. Yeah. And then I have to do it. That's a good idea. I haven't tried that. Yeah. And, but it doesn't take very long, but I just find that like not kind of like having a bit of that writing time. It's interesting what will pop out during that writing time too. Yeah. I think the other thing I'd throw out there is stress, like physical stress. So doing, you know, high intensity cardio, yeah. doing, you know, sauna cold plunge or even, you know, just cold plunge yeah. or cold shower, any of those. I find those really help too, because it's something about the enduring the stress takes up a lot of your attentional units. And so you have to kind of zone out and it gives you a little bit of that freedom with your thoughts. Right. Just great. Which is fantastic. It's actually what I'm going to go do right after this podcast recording. Nice. I was going to say the other, the last thing is just have one-on-one conversations with people that are, yeah. that are like lengthier in time than like 15 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Start a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> or just have, go out to dinner with people and or just like. Have people know, over. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just talk. And it's interesting what will come out of that. Um, yeah. And if you have other tactics for this that we haven't thought of, definitely let us know. Let us know on Twitter or by replying to the Made You Think podcast email newsletter, yep. which you can join at madeyouthinkpodcast.com so that you know about future upcoming episodes and events and everything else in case you want to read along as we're going. And aside from that, uh, obviously check out Scentbird, scentbird.com. Uh, you get 50% off your first month. Which you got to use code THINK. Yeah, code THINK. So it's seven fifty to try out any of their premium perfumes. So check that out. Oh, it's for guys and girls. For men and women. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, we got colognes. We got colognes. They, they have plenty of colognes, plenty of perfumes. So. And if you're a guy who wants to wear perfume, that's fine. Yeah, too. that's all good. It's all good. We don't judge here. Yeah, Scentbird won't stop you. They will not. So, <laughs> uh, Aside from that, obviously, foursigmatic.com slash think for your mushroom coffee needs, uh, which we are drinking during the episode, as we always are. Yep. You can use code think for 15% off, I believe it is. 
I'm always unsure each week. I need to go double check. Yeah, right, make sure. It's a it's discount. Some discount. It's some discount. That you should use. That you should use. Definitely use. Uh, perfectketo.com slash think for all your keto related needs. They give you, I believe, 20% off. And if you even if you're not trying to do keto, they've got some great MCT oils yeah. and MCT oil powder, which is an amazing fat for a whole host of reasons that you can read about on their blog. And I actually like to put some of the MCT oil in my mushroom coffee. If you really want to double it up. Yeah, two for one. Made you think it's great. Cocktail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I guess the last but certainly not least is kettleandfire.com slash think for all your bone broth related yeah, needs. I got 33% off yeah. plus free shipping if you Big one. do the full package. Ooh, I used some the other day for I made uh, quinoa. Nice. And I made quinoa with bone broth, quinoa bone broth instead, instead of, of water. Water, yeah. I've heard that's a great that's way so to do good. it. I used the beef one. Nice. Yeah, it just added so much flavor. It was it was amazing. It's a great idea. Normally what I'll do is I'll do water and then I'll throw my own spices and stuff into mm-hmm. there. But um this was just like all in one, just you know, I emptied out the package and made some quinoa and in the bone broth and oh, it was so good. And Sweet. I got all my nice little collagen needs. Yeah. Some good flavor. So so check that out. So the chicken one's good for sipping. Chicken one's great for sipping. Yeah. I still have to try that. I need to try that. But yeah, aside from that, you can find all of these links and more at majorthinkpodcast.com slash support. You can also click through to Amazon. Anything you buy on Amazon helps support the show. So please do that for all of your Amazon shopping. I saw Amazon had, they crushed their earnings yesterday. Yeah. And I think that had a lot to do with Major Think. Probably. Yeah, so, we're sending them a Bezos, lot of business. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome, Jeff. We, a billion would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a nice thank you. <laughs> so if you're listening to this. Yes, hit us up. You can give us that in Bitcoin so we don't have to <laughs> Yeah, we don't have to report it. <laughs> and then finally, uh, let your friends know about the show. So just tell them to go download, check out Made You Think, uh, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. And yeah, we will be... You can share this angrily on Twitter if you hated it. That's good too. That's perfect to grow the show. All news is good or all press is good press. Yeah, so. it's our show's anti-fragile. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Thanks everyone. We'll see you next week.